Well, this has been a really special service, and I just can't tell you how grateful I am for for all of you, for for Gina and the kind words she's just shared. Um, I mean, it's it's very humbling. It's it's humbling to serve such a wonderful congregation and to be held in such high esteem. Uh, so, really, so much to celebrate uh, now and in the coming months as we think about and reflect on what 30 years of ministry has been, but even more so than just looking backwards, we want to be looking forward to what God is yet to do. Um, I want to give you a quick update before we get in the message about reopening. I'm doing a message today about how can you close churches, uh, but it seems even more appropriate that we talk about reopening now. You know, one of the things I have kept a really close beat on has been the um, death rate and hospitalization rate. Those things, more than so many other factors that seem to be manipulated so often in our culture, how are area hospitals doing and how the death rate is actually uh, doing. So what we've seen is for more than a month, the death rate has been in decline, which has been so encouraging, but... For the longest time, hospitalizations remained at really high levels, but we have seen over the last two weeks a steady decline. And we're, we're still watching very closely what's going to happen now that school has reopened and uh, having just come off a holiday weekend with the Labor Day celebrations, we want to make sure we don't see a spike up in the next couple of weeks, but we're going to keep a close eye on it. And if this trend continues downward over the next couple of weeks, we will be making an announcement about reopening soon. Uh, I'm so encouraged by that news. I think I think that uh, we all have this anticipation that maybe the end is in sight, that we'll be able to figure out a way to have some semblance of weekend services with, of course, appropriate social distancing and all the safety precautions in place. But I think we're going to be together sooner than later. But expect within two weeks that we're going to make an announcement uh, based on the hospitalization rate locally, uh, what's happening there. So as we get started right now, would you just bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that we've had this time to celebrate, celebrate who you are first and foremost, celebrate God, uh, what 30 years has meant to Spring Creek Church and the difference that you're making here in the lives of so many who love you and follow you and want to be difference makers in the world. Now, I pray that you would just surround us now as we gather for this short time in your word, that you would just have complete freedom to speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it was Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, who once said, the greater God's gifts, the less they are regarded. What he meant by that is that a hungry man or woman is often more grateful for their morsel of food than the rich are for their tables full of food. That a lonely woman in a convalescent center is more appreciative of a visit from a single person than a person who is a socialite, who is having a party thrown in their honor. A Chinese believer who finally gets a Bible after years of state-imposed atheism is more grateful for that one Bible 
than many of us are for the countless Bibles and Christian books that line the shelves of our homes. Emerson himself said something similar. He said, if the stars in heaven appeared only once in a thousand years, imagine what an exciting event it would be. But because they're there every night, we hardly give them a look. Basically, what Luther and Emerson are saying is that we tend to take some of God's greatest gifts for granted. Our resources, our health, our friends, and something this pandemic has taught us, our ability to gather as a church. You know, I hope that over the last several months, your appreciation for church has grown as opposed to your anger toward churches. I've seen both. I have to be honest with you. I really have seen both. I hope that what's been feeding and fueling your soul has been your appetite for God as opposed to your appetite for today's internet outrage. I pray that whatever it is that you're exposing your mind and heart to are actually causing greater love for Christ and your brothers and sisters in Christ rather than this growing sense of self-righteousness that you're the only one who seems to really get it and everybody else is just a bunch of idiots. I really hope that our appreciation for what we have, that maybe we took for granted before COVID, I hope that that appreciation is growing. I I hope that you can actually see a demonstrable difference in the gratitude of your heart, that gratitude is increasing rather than anger increasing. That's a pretty good indicator of where our hearts actually are. Do you know that when the Mona Lisa was stolen from the Louvre in 1911, it went missing for more than two years. More people went to the Louvre in those two years to stare at the blank space on the wall where the Mona Lisa used to hang than had gone to see the Mona Lisa in the previous 12 years when it hung there unmolested. It's a powerful illustration of our tendency to overlook precious things when we have them. But let just one of those precious things be taken, and then we're painfully aware of the blank space in our lives. You know, last week we talked a lot about loss and the inevitability of loss, and I reminded you of this truth that in life, loss is inevitable. Growth is optional. Today, I want to remind you that the walls of your life and mine are filled with Mona Lisa's, and many times we don't appreciate what we have until we don't have it anymore. So one of the evidences that God is really at work in our life is a reversal of this tendency to take for granted, to, to, to fail to express appreciation, to really understand that we have been blessed beyond measure. What I'm saying is, is the greater and more abundant God's blessings in our life, the more overflowing our gratitude should be. So since our building's been shut down for the past five months, myself and the staff, we've had to mobilize to do ministry in brand new and creative ways. We've had to figure out how to do virtual hangouts for all of our folks. We've tried to do everything possible to improve the quality of this broadcast just so that we can better connect with an audience who's watching us on television or on a computer screen. In fact, because of the learnings over the last several months, we decided that the improvements we've made, we want to hang on to. We want to keep on doing this. We want to make sure that when our people can't be here, maybe they're sick, maybe they're on vacation, maybe they're traveling, maybe they've been reassigned with work out of state for a while, 
that they can connect with the church and still have a quality, engaging time with us. We also are learning that our congregation is growing. There are states literally all across our union where every week people are logging in and checking in and saying, hey, Spring Creek's my church. There are at least three countries I'm aware of, Kenya, Ecuador, and Brazil, where we have regular viewership. People are logging on and watching us even abroad. So when I'm asked, you know, about reopening the church, I, I think in terms of the dynamics of the things that have changed. For, for in many ways, you know, we continue, of course, just to be the church. I mean, we care for our congregation. We care for the physical, the spiritual, the relational needs within our own membership, but even outside our walls. We've engaged with Good Sam's of Garland to help with food insecurity. We've engaged with uh, Hope's Door New Beginnings to help uh, women who are fleeing domestic violence. We've even helped GISD. Uh, they needed headphones. They needed water. You know, they needed bottles of water because all the fountains in GISD, the water fountains are going to be cut off so kids won't have access to water unless it's supplied. So we stepped in to help fill that gap. So again, you know, I'm, I'm asked this question, when's the church going to reopen? And sometimes I just want to say, you know, it never closed. The building may be closed, but the church didn't close because the church is not a building. The church is its people. That God's work has gone on in countless ways, in new ways, in different ways, but we've never stopped being the church. You can't close what you are. And if your Christianity ceased because the building closed, I want to suggest to you that maybe what you have is not really Christianity. Maybe all you have is churchianity. So if you will, would you just say with me this simple phrase, the church is not a building. You know, I think one of the single greatest benefit to come out of COVID has been the fact that Christians, not just here at Spring Creek, but scattered across the country, have read to rethink what it really means to be the church. You probably heard the phrase, Elvis has left the building. Uh, they used to use that at Elvis Presley concerts when people would just continue to linger for long times after a concert to let them know there was no encore that was going to come. So they'd say, Elvis has left the building. Well, not long ago, I saw this t-shirt, maybe you've seen it too, fell in love with it, and it simply said, the church has left the building. So when people say church today, we think of a lot of different things. There's a lot of associations with that word. Some people think of hymns and choirs and organs. Other people think of, of bands and high-tech screens and modern praise music. Some people think of steeples and kneeling rails. Others think of candles and a certain style of music altar calls, uh, Sunday school, offering plates, and backwards collars. But many of the things we associate with church are really only cultural traditions that we associate with church. The music we do today, I promise you, is nothing like what they did in the first century church. Altar calls and Sunday schools, they're 200 years old. For most of church history, there was no such thing. So when people say stuff like, you know, well, we've always done it this way, seldom is that true. In one generation, just 40 years from now, people will likely look back on our time and think about our music and the way we did church and think, wow, that was so antiquated and dumb. Another question I get asked a lot as a pastor is, where is your church? And what I want to say is my church is all over this city, all over Texas, all over the U.S. and around the world. Because our church is not located at 2660 Beltline Road, it's located in your home and in my home, and in places we call home all around the world. 
Do you know that it was several hundred years after Christ before Christians began to own property specifically designed for usage by the church? And they did fine without it. They did fine without church property because they understood the church is not a building. That's why it's not really proper to say, I'm going to church. You don't go to what you are. You are the church. That's what the Bible says. So how can you and I ever go to church if the church is not a building? You know, I have this friend. He was a pastor at First Baptist Church in McKinney for for several years. And they did a campaign a few years back uh, about the church. And and in particular, they had T-shirts made for every member of First Baptist. And on the front, it said, don't go to church. And on the back, it said, be the church. And I love this. Now, what they were saying, they weren't saying don't gather as a church. They understand, and we do too, that we gather as a church for fellowship, encouragement, and prayer. But what they were highlighting is this idea of don't go to church is not what the church is. We don't go to what we are. We are the church. We don't go to church. So my pastor friend's telling me that one of his members was at a gas station, had his shirt on, and he's pumping gas in his car, and this guy comes up to him who identifies himself as a Christian and says he's offended by the guy's T-shirt, and he hauls off, punches him in the nose, and gives him a bloody nose. Now, I should, as a caveat, say he punched him in Jesus' name and left him a gospel track. No, I'm kidding about that part, but I'm not kidding about the fact that this guy punched him in the nose for wearing a shirt that said, don't go to church. What I find is kind of the ultimate irony about that story, and this pastor friend of mine found it ironic too, that the guy who's wearing a t-shirt that represents biblical truth gets punched in the face by someone who in their own twisted way think he's defending the truth. You don't go to church. You are the church. Philip Schaff is the the most world-renowned church historian to ever live. Listen to what he said. That the Christians in the apostolic age erected special houses of worship is out of the question. As the Savior of the world was born in a stable, ascended to heaven from a mountain, so his apostles and their successors down to the third century preached in the streets, the markets, on mountains, in ships, sepulchers, which are caves or graves, eaves and and deserts, and in the homes of their converts. Or how about this statement by Frank Viola and George Barna? Strikingly, nowhere in the New Testament do we find the terms church, temple, or house of God used to refer to a building. To the ears of the first century Christian, calling a church a building would have been like calling your wife a condominium or your mother a skyscraper. So nowhere in the scriptures do we find this word church ever used to refer to a building. The building of God is not a physical building. It's a spiritual building made up of living stones. And the Bible says you and I are those living stones. Listen to Peter describe it. Like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So if every believer, every child of God, would simply stop calling this place a church, that act in and of itself would be revolutionary to our faith. But even with that said, I get it. There are some people who do understand that the church is not a building, that we ourselves are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. 
But then they say something equally uninformed. They'll say, but I miss worship. I miss being with other believers so I can worship, which leads me to this. Worship is not a church service. To God, worship is something that happens primarily when we're not gathered together in his house. You see, it's not about singing. It's not about raising your hands in praise. It's not doing any of the things that we associate with the posture of worship. If that's what you think worship is, I've got to tell you, your definition of worship is not only incredibly shallow, it is incredibly unbiblical. When you equate worship with a service, what happens is this. People begin to look to worship as a commodity. This turns people into consumers, and they start looking for where they can find the best show. Worship is not a product for consumption. It's an attitude of offering the totality of one's being to God. That's what worship is. So how do we define worship biblically? Well, the first thing I'd say to you about worship is simply this. Don't let your worship experience define worship for you. Because once you start defining worship as an experience, not only have you betrayed the biblical definition of worship, but you become a worshiper of experience. Worship may produce good feelings, but we don't pursue good feelings in worship or else we become a worshiper of good feelings. Do you know that the word that the Bible uses for worship, the, the, the word is proskuneo. It's a word that does not come to us from the world of church or the temple. It doesn't even come. It doesn't have this, this spiritual association with it at all. The word proskuneo actually comes to us from the world of slavery. It was a word to describe a servant. You see, it described a servant's allegiance to their master. It meant to work with devotion, to reflect my master's value, to please my master in all I do. That's what the word worship literally means. The Bible ties worship with work, which is as it should be. Listen to this verse from Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. That attitude is what lies at the heart of worship, to work with all of your heart in doing what you do as if Jesus Christ himself were your boss. Now, you might be tempted at times to look at your job as a sacred or as a secular, brainless and mundane endeavor, but God does not see it that way. Your sweat is sacred to God. You worship through your work. You go after it like it matters to God because it does. You see, once you get this important concept, you'll never be the same. You'll never be one of those people who associate worship with raising hands or the latest song by Chris Tomlin or Matt Redman or equate worship somehow with a mood or environment. When you finally understand what God is saying, that he's saying whatever you do, do it with all of your God-given passion and strength because that's worship. If you're the kind of person who does less than your your best, who punches the clock, who can't wait till five o'clock when you can leave work and get on with your real life. You're not a worshiper, no matter how into worship you are on the weekend, because the vast majority of your life is being thrown away as if it doesn't matter to God. But when you finally understand that every completed report done with excellence is an act of worship, that every time you grade a student's paper in hopes of helping them learn and become better as a student, that that is an act of praise. 
that every nail that is hammered, every pipe that is repaired, every roof that is properly put on to protect a homeowner, keeping them dry and safe, that this is our way of saying to the Father in heaven, Lord, I've given my best today to my clients, to my students, to my neighbors, but I did it all for you. That's how you worship through your work, not because you hum a little praise ditty while you're doing your work. But worship is even more than that. Worship is not just me doing a good job and offering my best from nine to five. It's also primarily about how I live out my values in this broken world. In particular, how I live out God's values in a broken world. You know, this is a message that is a constant refrain in the Old Testament. Almost every single prophet highlights this message about worship. Listen to this. Isaiah says, the multitude of your sacrifices, so this is God speaking here, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and of fat, of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who's asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feast and your appointed feast, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. What's God saying? God is saying, you know, why are you doing all this? Why do you keep showing up at my house? Why do you keep offering me all these things? They just make me sick and I want nothing to do with it. But did you notice all the things that he mentions in this verse are the things he asked them to do? So why is God sick of their worship? This is how he said, I'm to be approached. This is what you do as an act of worship. Why is God now sick of it? Well, he explains it immediately afterwards. This is what he says. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. You see, God says, I don't, he doesn't say, I don't like your worship because the drums are too loud or you're not playing any of the songs that I like or I'm just not into it or your worship leader's not all that great. Instead, God says, I don't like your worship because I don't like the fact that you don't live out my values the other six days of the week. You don't speak out against oppression. You won't stand in solidarity with the orphans and vulnerable people. The poor and the marginalized who are supposed to be your first concern, they hardly register as a fleeting thought during the week. Nothing is as important to you as taking care of you. You see, God doesn't want what we call worship from people who won't live out his heart for the poor and the marginalized when they're not in his house. And Isaiah is not the only prophet who points this out. Micah has exactly the same message. Look at this from Micah 6, 7 to 8. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Again, these are the offerings of worship, what God has prescribed in the Old Testament for his people to do. And, and Micah wants to know, is God going to be pleased with that? And the answer, no. What will God be pleased with? Here it is. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Micah says, you think God is pleased with your acts of worship in the temple. I'm telling you, don't kid yourself. If you want to know what worship is, it is to 
Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Justice, mercy, faith. It's like in the message earlier in this broadcast today where I talked about the Stephen Covey illustration. How that mercy or compassion is to jump into the river and save drowning people. That's something that can and must be done. But justice is about going upstream to find out who's pushing all the people in the river. It's going upstream to find out what's the cause of this. Why are so many people in distress? What the Bible teaches us is justice and mercy live in symbiotic relationship with one another. You can't have one without the other. It's not an either or proposition. As believers, we're called to live out our faith, to walk humbly with God in the context of doing justice and acting mercifully. That's what God says a true worshiper is like. Jeremiah has the same message. Look at this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. Pay attention to that line. I'll come back to it. For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices. But I gave them this command, obey me and I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. Now here, Jeremiah indicts the people again over their worship. He says, you offer your sacrifice and you eat the meat yourself. In other words, what you offer as worship is really only worship intended to meet your own needs. What you say you're offering to me is only meant to feed you. How often is that true of what we call worship today? What we offer to God as an act of worship is really only intended to feed ourselves. So to correct these twisted ideas of worship, Jeremiah says this, if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, you see, again, we go from worship to acting justly. Worship to how do you live from Monday through Saturday? Are you living out God's heart for the poor? Are you standing in solidarity with people who are being oppressed? God wants to know that because he said that is an act of worship, not coming together and offering me sacrifices or singing praise songs to me. Isaiah knew it, Micah knew it, Jeremiah knew it, and Jesus knew it too. True faith can never be expressed simply through a song. What real faith, real worship, is justice, kindness, humility, care for the marginalized, faithfulness, and righteousness. So our true worship really is lived out from Monday through Saturday as we care for the vulnerable and the weak in our community. That's worship. What we do on Sunday is just a summing up of a week's worth of worship. So when I hear people say, uh, you know, you close the church, I, I, I think... No, the church never closed. You're the church. I'm the church. We're not closed. We're open for business, have been all this time. These walls will never contain what God wants to do in this city and in the world. It was never intended to. When I hear people say, well, I just miss worship, I think, why are you not worshiping in the week? Are you not offering your best to God in your job that you do from nine to five or whatever the hours you put in? Are you not living out God's heart for the poor, the vulnerable? Are you not a champion of justice and, and, and standing in solidarity with the oppressed? If you're doing all those things, that's 99% of our worship. When we come together as the people of God, we just celebrate what God's been doing in our lives all week long. That's what makes it so special. But even with all of that said, let me say from the heart, I miss gathering together. 
I miss seeing your beautiful faces. I miss laying hands on you and praying for you. I miss hugging you, shaking your hand, hearing about your week, learning about your concerns. I miss when we gather together. And I think based on what's happening right now and this amazing downward trend in terms of hospitalizations and deaths, I think we're going to be together, be together really soon. But just think about how special that day is going to be when we gather together and we have five months of being the church to celebrate. We have five months when we've not been able to come together as the church and offer an act of worship to God as a culmination, if you will, for all the amazing things he's done in this time that we've been apart. So I look forward to that day. I think it's probably appropriate, too, that this is the 30, 30th year anniversary of the church. You know, when we started this church, we started out at Naaman Forest High School, which meant we were only a church on Sunday in terms of having a physical location, that is. We were only had a physical location on Sunday morning. And so every week for two solid years, we were reminded the church is not Naaman Forest High School. That was just a building. That was just a meeting place. That was a place for the church to gather, but that was not the church. We are the church. And we are being reminded now at our 30-year anniversary, don't forget, this church is not this building. We're God's church. We've got a job to do. We've got people that need to hear the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a, a, a statement I want to read to you. I've read it to you probably a half a dozen times over the years. I read it to myself frequently. It's, it's a vision statement, a purpose statement from the Vineyard Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. First time I read it, there was such an amen in my spirit. I continue to read it because it inspires me. I hope it inspires you today because this is the church and this is what worship looks like. Imagine a ragtag collection of surrendered and transformed people who love God and others. They're mesmerized by the idea that this is not about them, but all about Jesus. They're transfixed by his story and his heart for their city. They are seed throwers and fire starters, hope peddlers and grace givers, risk takers and dreamers, young and old. They leak arms with anyone who tells the story of Jesus. They empower the poor, strengthen the weak, embrace the outcast, seek the lost. They serve together, play together, worship together, live life together. Their city will change because God has sent them. They are us. We believe that small things done with great love will change the world. And once again, I add, oh Lord, make it so. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that we've had this time to celebrate, to drill down on some core truths about who we are as a people, what the church actually is, and what it means to be a worshiping community. I pray, Lord, that our lives will look like the lives that you want them to be, that we will be about your business, that we will be the kind of people known for acts of mercy and acts of justice, that, Lord, we live in solidarity with vulnerable people, that they know they have a champion in us, someone is on their side, that our worship really doesn't count on the weekend if our lives are not characterized by a lifestyle of justice, mercy, and faith. So Lord, use this time that we have apart to just increase the appreciation in our heart for one another 
and for the beauty of what it means to gather as your people. I pray, Lord, this is a really blessed time for our entire church family, that so, so many people who have sacrificed along the way, financially, people who have sacrificed of their time and abilities, people who've given so much and invested in this place so that the world would know that you're real, that you're alive, that you love them, and that you have a plan for their life. I thank you, God, for every single one, these living stones that comprise your church. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So normally after a Sunday message, we have a time where we kind of gather together and do a little downloading of the message and some interaction around that. This week, we're going to change it up a little bit. I've invited a few uh, friends uh, to be with me. First, Tim and Paula Margison, who have been with me since before Spring Creek started. They helped to plant this church and are still just numbered among our dearest friends. And my wife, Brenda. And what we want to do is just kind of have a time where we reminisce a little bit about where we've been and what God has done and some of the highlights of the journey over the last 30 years. I hope you can hang around and enjoy us in this conversation. God bless you. Have a great day. So here we are. Yeah. I have my I have my very dear friends Tim and Paula Margison, who were with me for a good solid year before we started Spring Creek Church, and know the inside dirt about Brenda and I going way way back, <laughs> yes. and, and my lovely wife Brenda, who has also been with us every day since Spring Creek began. And I just thought we'd start off because they're just, I mean, really only a handful of people right now who remember our very first Sunday as Spring Creek Church, September 16th, 1990. I just wonder about your recollections of that day. What do you, what do you think about when you think about how the church started, how it all rolled out, and your feelings of fear, elation, all of those things? So who'd like to start? Well, I'd like to say that... Uh... My remembering of the uh, beginning of the church was that we were very excited and we produced a large mailing at your request and you said, this is going to bring uh, a lot of people in. And the interesting thing was that uh, the timing of the mailing actually went a little early, earlier than... uh, we should have done it because people got the notice of of it prior, notifying them that we were going to start. 
And instead of showing up on what was have been the first day of the church, we had a practice church. It was a real church service, I but totally we were just doing that. it with us, with 23 people, mm-hmm. including two of them infants. Um, but there were we were there, and um, we were going to do a, a dry run, and well over 100 people showed up. Yeah. And I remember uh, Janet uh, was there, and we both cried hmm. because we couldn't believe it because we didn't expect that even that many people would come on the original first day. But here they were at the practice run. They had gotten the notification and showed up. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten that. A week before we started, because we let the mailer go out, there was no guarantee that it could fall in that particular week. So we had to release them early. And people showed up a week early. And it was a foretaste of what would happen on our very first Sunday. It was very exciting. Yeah. So this was a huge paradigm shift for for us because my dad was a Free Will Baptist minister as Keith was beforehand, and it, it was a very traditional kind of church. And everything Keith wanted to do was different, even telling people to leave their wallets at home, which <laughs> made me a little nervous, um, and just... Down to the music, the the type of um, dress that we, you know, it was very casual, very, very different from our church experience. So we had a whole lot of doubts whether, whether it would work out. We loved him. We had confidence in him, but we thought we were going to be really doing a lot of comforting. And we were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, sweetheart? Well, I was very pregnant with Haley, our um, oldest daughter, so... Honestly, don't have a lot of memories of it the first day, but what I do remember is just feeling like uh, I knew all the preparation you had made. I knew all the prayers that were sent up for you and all the help and, and the support that we did have to begin with, um, like from Paul and Tim and a few others. But, um, you know, there really was no plan B if this didn't work. And so I never really thought about, oh my gosh, what if this fails and and no one i i didn't really think that i know paul and tim did but i didn't really think it that that i was scared and i was nervous but i i didn't really think that you know it wouldn't go well or that we wouldn't grow i because i i just knew how hard you'd worked mm-hmm. and how you know much you had prepared for that day and and all the prayers that went along with it well you bring up a good point which was there really was no plan b Mm-mm. and the one thing, the one decision I made that I least regret is I said, you know, at the, I want to try everything I think will work in planting a church because I don't want to come back six months from now or a year from now and think, what if I'd tried this? What if I'd tried that? I really wanted to just go with what God had put in my heart and go full tilt into it. And, uh, of course, then the rest was history. There was an amazing first service, nearly just shy of 200 people that showed up. And uh, by the end of a couple of years, we were at 300. And then it just really began to mushroom and take off. So we've been together 30 years now. You all had a, a, a short stint away, went to California for a while. And 
now are back where you belong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is too long. But, Five but years I, too long. Absolutely. But I do think, you know, in terms of 30 years, you know, so over these 30 years, is, is there anything in particular that just really stands out to you that, that has been uh, really meaningful, that either marked your own journey or really was something where you were just so proud of Spring Creek, say, hey, yeah, this is my church. This is, this is us. Is there anything at all that really just, when you think about 30 years, because there's so much, is, is there any one thing or, 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 you know, a pattern or quality that you see that really stands out? Well, I would say that, uh, to me, one of the major standout things was your vision of inclusion of all of Garland and parts and beyond everywhere and inclusion of every type of people. Hmm. And when we had the first disability Sunday service hmm. where Tony Melendez came and did a concert for free and there was multitudes of people we were we were filled to the brim mm -hmm. and it really kicked off the um jonathan project that uh, we did for several years uh with a lot of help and support from the church constantly mm -hmm. every month they supported us uh in providing um a ministry mm -hmm. to up to nine group homes and several singles that were uh, people with disabilities. And that is not necessarily one of the things that a church does, um, the, the inclusion of all people. Mm. And that was really meaningful to me. Yeah. And I, I have to piggyback on that because, of course, I am a person with a disability. I'm totally blind. And... Um, what what I love best was um, that I was allowed to serve and to work. I was, you know, a shepherd when we had um, Kids Creek, and I also got to be a storyteller with uh, with the little kids. And so anything that I wanted to do, the church welcomed my doing that. And that might not sound unusual to to a lot of people, but for me, that was not the experience I had had. Mm. So that meant a lot to me. It was very, very affirming. But I have to say that if I had to say one thing that Spring Creek is to me, it is grace. Because when I came here, you know, I grew up in a legalistic church, and I thought I had to work my way to heaven. And to really grasp the concept of grace and that Jesus had already done the work for me was so huge. Mm. And I thank God every single day for that. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, it's so, we grew so much together. And because of breaking experiences, Brenda and I went through, you know, we came to lean on grace because we knew how desperately we needed it. And like you, I had that same legalistic background. And drinking deep from that fountain, it was just like, wow, there's no going back for me. This is no. it. And I can still remember our conversation where <laughs> you came to me and you said, hey, are we, I mean, it was almost like it's too good to be true. Yeah, you said, yeah. said, are we just making God into what we want him to be? Right. 
And, and I can remember at the time telling you, yes, we did make God into what we wanted to be, but we didn't make up this God of grace and love and mercy. We made up that God that jumps all over our self-esteem when we mess up, who's, who's always saying, you got to try harder, who's, who is, who is absolutely an unpleasable parent. That's the God we made up because in our woundedness, we take our defects and we transpose them onto God. But the liberating thing about the gospel is that God is not like our wounded self or our wounded parents or our wounded upbringing, that he is the one that heals all of that to really set us free. I, I appreciate so much that you have always been so honest with me and so vulnerable. And, and we've been able to have these conversations about grace. And it's, it's truly been mutually transformational. What about you, sweetie? Wow. I, you know, I haven't thought about that in a long time, but we really did all grow together around that topic because, um, you know, with our legalistic background that we came from, you were always way farther ahead of us and you kind of drug me kicking and screaming in that <laughs> direction. But thank God you did because I, you know, life is so different than how it would have been. And, um, I just really haven't thought about that in a long time and think I would cry my eyes out if I started talking about it. Um, but I think for me, the the most important things that I've gotten over the last 30 years <laughs> are the deep friendships and relationships that form here. And, uh, you know, there's just so many people that I would have never met and would have never um, been able to share life with if it hadn't been for church. And, um, and just the way that everything kind of orchestrated together to bring people together and to share our lives with each other the day to day. And there were all these moms groups in the beginning, you know, and mm -hmm. and different Bible studies and stuff like that. And you form relationships over that. And then time changes and things move on and you develop other friendships and relationships and people move and go away. And but, you know, that's and I can remember this from the very beginning, what stands out to me a lot is um, I can just remember several times, literally over 30 years of driving to church, and I'm in one of many of a car pile to turn into <laughs> the parking lot, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of waiting my turn with my blinker on, and then just seeing car after car after car behind me doing the same thing. And this is over 30 years of doing this. And it's like every time I I see that, I I just can't believe it, you know, that people just keep continuing to come and and believe in this ministry and what you're doing and and support you and and us. And um it's just it's just been amazing. Well, I think it's because when we come together here and we do learn about grace and we learn about God and 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 how he works and we understand better things um as we you know hear the sermons and things we just come in and go out thinking God is in this place with us at this time mm -hmm. and it's just really nice mm -hmm. it's really nice feeling that you know God is there because you can see God in it, in the things that we do and what, and what the church does, all of the ministries. You know, we visited probably 
at least a dozen churches in California. We have in Southern California, where there are a lot of churches, and we could not find a fit that felt like Spring Creek. We mm. just couldn't. So we did Spring Creek online and continued to visit other churches, but we... This was our biggest drawback. We have family here, but our biggest draw is we got to get back to Spring Creek. <laughs> <laughs> well, you all have really put the icing on the cake with these last comments because it is, it's all about relationship, isn't it? It's the connections that we've enjoyed. It's, it's the people God has brought into our life as these incredible blessings. Um, I, I just wouldn't know the people I know today if it weren't for this church. And when I look at you three, uh, you just have to know this place wouldn't exist without you, that I may have been up front, but uh, it's because you were supporting me and believing in me and loving me. Absolutely. Um, and many other people who've joined that number over the years. Um, and I'm just really, really grateful and grateful that we've had this time to share together today. So God bless you all. And thanks for this time. Thank you. Happy birthday. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs>